DJ, PK, and we're joined by Chris Cameron, a Ute writer for The Athletic. Chris, good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. So you caught up with Steve Smith. You got a few good stories out of him, didn't you? Yeah, I asked about five questions and got an hour's worth of transcribing. So that's always a good thing in retrospect, so no complaints there. How'd you go about getting in touch with him? Oh, you know, PK, I have my ways. <laughs> I mean, but in terms of, was it something that he wanted to do? Not, I'm not asking for details, but I meant... Oh, yeah, did, no, no, no. Yeah, it was just something that I I know some of people that know him, and I just said, hey, we're living in quarantine. I have nothing really to write about outside of speculation of when college football is going to return. Steve Smith graduated 20 years ago. It's his birthday coming up would he be willing to chat with me? And then an unknown number called last week. I picked up. He said, this is Steve, and away we went. Yeah, that's what I was looking for, to just see how, how the story came about rather than, you know, who gave his phone number. That's not what I was interested in. Oh, no, I know. I, it's it's just a, uh, you know, we're, we're all trying to get as creative as possible uh, during this time. And I had never spoken to Steve. And the timeliness of it being, you know, 20 years ago, the fact that, for his birthday, and uh, I, I know that Steve has good stories, and people have good stories about Steve. So I figured I would uh, dive headfirst into that well and, and hopefully come out with something. And luckily, uh, people remember Steve for obvious reasons because of how good he was and how much he liked to, uh, to compete and fight and chat. And that's basically what the story is, is people just recounting the, the old days of kind of the, the launching pad of Steve Smith, so to speak. So there are a lot of stories, and some of them reveal something about Steve. Some of them reveal along the way things about college football. And one thing that always interests me that I think is really unknown or underestimated by the public is how much time the coaches spend trying to know what kind of person they're recruiting and the depths they will go. And I found the, uh, the Taco Bell and the uh, yeah. timeliness story. It's like, man, and Fred Graves did go to a point and say, you know, what you could do then and what you can do now. You know, the rules have changed over time. But, but share some of that because he, really, he was really digging deep to find out who Steve was. For sure. And, and what people forget, too, is, you know, Chad Johnson was part of that wide receiving core at Santa Monica College back then. So Utah was also recruiting Chad at the time when they were recruiting Steve. And they were also recruiting a guy named Demetrius Posey, who was one of Steve's best friends and, and talking to some folks. He was a Utah signee that, that tragically passed away in a car accident. So Utah came close to getting all three of these, these guys to come to their, you know, run-heavy offense 20 years ago. But, but what Fred was trying to do was he was trying to get to know uh, who Steve was as a person. He'd seen all of his highlights. He'd seen his ability to have game-changing plays and have these crazy punt returns. And, and Fred had a great anecdote of, of being able to go watch Steve run track at Santa Monica back then. And at 5'8", he was running the high hurdles, which is pretty rare for a guy that size. So it just showed that he had this kind of off-the-charts athletic ability uh, but but back then, Steve was working at Taco Bell um, about, you know, I think it was a mile and a half away from Santa Monica campus. So he would go there during lunch to pick up lunch shifts when he didn't have class before practice. And Fred would go down there because uh, outside of being, you know, on the practice facility, 
Fred knew where to find Steve, and it was at Taco Bell. So Steve would tell his bosses, hey, I'm going to have some college guys stop in here from time to time to just kind of get to know who I am and, and, and see if, if I'm a fit for them. And, and it's just funny, like you mentioned, DJ, looking back in retrospect, I have a hard time seeing any college coaches, A, showing up to a kid, uh, you know, talking to a kid that's working at Taco Bell, and B, even having the ability to now considering the, the restraints of recruiting in the NCAA landscape. I used to work at Taco Bell for a little bit when I was in college, so I can relate to that. Um, you did, did not. I did. Oh, I did. he did. Tell him the story about the woman. Oh, yeah. the My manager, man, we had a Christmas party, and so I'm like maybe 19 years old, and she was 30, which probably was akin to being 107 when you're 19 years old. And uh, she was hitting on me bad, but I had the good common sense and she was married to say, yeah, this isn't happening here. I'll dance a couple of dances with you. Not slow dancing. I practiced social distancing back then. But, yeah, she was she was hot to trot. But, uh, you know, I was looking for somebody a little bit closer to my age who wasn't married. It seemed like a logical thing to do. I don't know what you guys think. Good instincts, PK. A Taco Bell Christmas party. <laughs> or your boss is hitting on you. That sounds like an athletic story. You might have to let me write that, DJ. <laughs> True story. And did you know that DJ will say, oh, I read this in The Athletic, I read that in The Athletic, because the work computer is on The Athletic. It's not like he subscribes to The Athletic. He's just gravy training someone else's subscription, Chris. He's cord cutting. Come on, DJ. Guilty, Your Honor. <laughs> He makes he got two jobs. He's making all this money, and he can't freaking pop for good journalism. I'm spending. You believe on, this guy? I'm spending on landlines on the Salt Lake Tribune. Leave me alone. <laughs> you still have a landline? Yeah, against my will. That's a long story. We'll get into it later. <laughs> he's a, he's held against his will on a landline. <laughs> Who's got a landline? You freaking old timer. Is it rotary dial? That would be awesome, but no. <laughs> so tell us another Steve, uh, another uh, Steve story, one that uh, that you particularly loved or surprised you when you heard it, because you you talked to oh, a lot of people for about sure. it. Yeah, yeah. The, the best one was, and this is this is a, you know patting my own back, but this just goes to show that you you get good stories by talking to as many people as you can. When I finally got a hold of Andre Dyson. A couple of weeks ago, he told me that Steve used to wear the hats of the opposing teams that they would play that week just to like fire himself up and to get his teammates pissed off at him and the team they're playing. So Steve said when he moved to Salt Lake, he would always go to the local malls and, and fans was a store back then, obviously. And he said fans used to have all of the Mountain West Conference uh, hats for sale for all of the teams in the Mountain West Conference. So what he would do is when he had enough money, he would just go buy the hat of the team Utah was playing that week. And and Andre told me that story, and I was like, hey, hey, I need you to tell me again because, one, that doesn't make too much sense, and, two, I need you to explain to me why. Then he did, and then when I was able to talk to Steve, Steve was like, oh, yeah, that was my favorite thing. And he said, guys would get pissed off at me. Fred Graves would be like, hey, what's your deal? Why are you wearing UNLV hats the week we're going to play the Rebels? And Steve told him. Uh, why he was doing it, and it served as an internal motivator for himself. And 
you know, I, I think a lot of people try to get on that level of, of Michael Jordan. I think with the, with the last dance going on, everybody's really excited to talk about his, his uh, internal ability to motivate himself. And Steve Smith, I will say, is probably as close as it gets to Michael in terms of a story that I've done on somebody that's just always looking for something to use, a slight. Um, you know, Steve always holds a grudge against DJ's Aztecs for choosing to go another route. And that's another piece in the story about how he never forgot what SDSU told him, that he was okay but not good enough for them. And the two games he had against SDSU were some of his best uh, during his time at Utah. I don't remember the game he played against them in Salt Lake, but in San Diego, a boring defensive struggle, two teams floundering around, and the Utes win 21-7, and he has an 80-yard touchdown catch, and I think he had another score, too. I don't know if it was that long. But the 80-yarder, he just ran by everybody, threw it over the top, and he was gone. It was like these two teams just grinding out, and this guy is on a different level. Yeah, he had two catches for 143 yards in that game. Both of them were touchdowns. And then the other game, uh, it was five for 131, I think, and two touchdowns as well. But that was a blow, and I think Utah beat him by like 21 or something. So if the Utes can get a Steve Smith back then who's all that, how come they can't get him now when they're in a Pac-12? That's a great question, and that's something that I think Utah is going to need in order to get over the hump. I think recruiting and developing skill position players to go with their offensive identity. Uh, once you get into the, the haymaking throws with USC and Oregon, they're just going to need guys to, to be game changers. And again, it's, it, it's a different time, but it, but it is interesting to look back and say, here was Utah, a, a run first team, a dedicated play action team that had, you know, Mike Anderson, a future NFL back, that came close to landing Steve Smith, Chad Johnson, and the late Demetrius Posey, who a lot of people think would have been better than, than all three of those guys if, if he had been able to uh, to come to Utah. So again, it's, it's an interesting dynamic, and, and Utah needs to figure that out because I think a lot of it is just fit and style. Um, I'm interested to see if, if this last year does anything for Utah on the recruiting front. They're in on a couple of big-time, you know, three, four-star wide receivers in Texas and, and the West Coast, but I think it's one thing to be in on them. It's another thing to land them and be able to develop those guys in order to go with that kind of dedicated running game that Utah is known for. So I get why it would be hard to bring a four-star receiver to Utah with a run-oriented offense and a sketchy history of the passing game, but what I don't get is why they can't find the diamonds in the rough that they used to find. There are still players going to the Mountain West Conference who are good players, who get a lot of yards, get a lot of catches, score a lot of touchdowns, go to the NFL in some cases. Yeah, That's the part I don't get. Why they lose a four-star guy to Oregon or USC, I get that. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I think, can we count Britton Covey as a diamond in the rough? Probably, yeah, because exactly. of the size issue, yeah. same as uh, you know Steve Smith, right? Undersized. Yeah, Steve Smith. I mean, I think, I think uh, going back a little further, Tim Patrick, I think you can classify as, as one of those guys. But again, Considering Utah's been in, in the Pac-12 for almost a decade now, the fact that there are only three to four guys that really come to mind and that Britain's one of them, I think uh, is just Utah has to bust through that glass ceiling and, and figure it out. And I know um, when you're watching a, a, 
a team that gives Zach Moss the ball 20 to 25 times a game. Um, as a receiver, you're like, do I really want to go to a place that's going to be dedicating so much to the run game? But, but I think what, what Utah has going for it, guys, is that Andy Ludwig's going to always play to his strength of whatever he has at his disposal. He had a generational back in Zach Moss. He had literally the best running back in the history of, of Utah football, 100-something years. So he obviously he's going to go with Zach, which is why I think this year, you know, hopefully when we have a season, it's going to be wild because it's going to be a Utah offense having to take the, the load from the defense where usually it's vice versa. And I don't think we've ever seen Utah return this many skill position players on the outside um, than, than they have coming back in 2020. Yeah, but I still don't think it's going to make a difference. I think that they're going to be a defensive-oriented team, and they're going to play ball possession and punt if things don't go well, and then hopefully they stop them. Until I see otherwise, I don't care what the numbers say. That's what I'm going to believe. Really? I mean, I think I think the fact that they're replacing so many guys and that so many of the guys that they're bringing in that they're going to have to rely on playing either have zero experience or very limited amount of experience. I mean, let's not... Let's not discount the fact that there could be a time, if we play in 2020, that Utah could have as many four to five true freshmen in the secondary. That's right. unheard of. But that, that's so why that's I think why he's... I... Go ahead. No, I was going to say, that's why I think you're just, it's going to be uh, flipped on its head a little bit. I think no. if, if, if you do play, if you do have a, a, an experienced quarterback in Jake Bentley, if you do have two guys that can be running back by committee, and you have, you know, an All-American candidate in Brant Keithy at tight end. And if everybody's healthy on the outside, I think it could be a totally different offense. I mean, I think we could see rather than 60-40 run, we could see 55-45 pass or 60-40 pass. I just don't know how much you – I mean, outside of Devin Lloyd, who I think is going to be a very, very, you know, all-conference type linebacker, and, and Mika Tafua, you have, you know, beef on the inside with some returning guys. But after that, you have literally – so many unknowns. I mean, yeah. so many unknowns, and that's and that's just kind of un, unheard of in the, in Utah's era of of the Pac-12 A, and just like in the last twenty years. I mean, I can't remember the last time Utah lost so many defensive players to the draft and had got, and didn't have that many guys behind them that had no experience. So that's why I think. I mean, you you, you could be right, PK. I, I mean, depending on how they stack up, but that defense is going to take its lumps, man. I mean. There, there are going to be guys that are going to be going against Keaton Slovis and that air raid offense in like week five of, of the season and their first season in college football. Right. But that's why he's going to be getting even more conservative because I can't afford to put my defense even in a worse position because they're already vulnerable. So the last thing I need is the offense turning the ball over on uh, its 45-yard line or the other team's 45-yard line because my defense is already susceptible. When he had a great defense, he refused to open it up because it's all about protecting the defense. That's his philosophy. So now when they were sending all these guys to the NFL – they still didn't do it. They still ran it, and I get that. And, and Zach Moss is all that, and there's no question about it, but I think it's also a product of the system. And here, with a inexperienced defense, I see Kyle clamping down even more because he doesn't want to put them even more at risk. Yeah, I can see that. I guess I guess as a dreamer, I want, I want the, uh, 
the the establishment to be flipped on its head. I, w- I want the ultimate. I want the ultimate Joker and Kyle Whittingham to just be like, roll the dice and riverboat Kyle. But that probably won't happen. But don't fall in love with a dreamer. <laughs> is that is that a, is that a line from your old Taco Bell boss? <laughs> uh, I think it's uh, the dearly departed Kenny Rogers. Ah, the gambler. May he rest in peace. Exactly. I think the X factor in here is uh, Andy Ludwig. I think Kyle has more trust in Andy than he's had in any OC he's had in the time he's been there. So there'll be a little bit of wiggle room. And if it goes well, he'll let it go. But how quickly will he say, never mind, run it three times and punt if things aren't going well? Yeah, I, I agree. That's the X factor. I think I, I think I totally think that that dynamic that those two have could potentially change. I just think that with the amount of experience they have coming back on offense, there are going to be games where Utah has no choice but to let it loose and try to outscore people. I think, I mean, like against USC, is Utah's defense, who has talent but it's crazy and experienced, going to be able to hold that offense to 21 points? Well, if you if you get behind, if you get behind, then the choice is easy. You got to open it up because you got to catch up. So, yeah. Right. All right. Hey, we got to run. We appreciate the time. Nice work on the uh, story with Steve. And Chris, we'll talk to you again. All right. Thanks, guys.